Check, check. Check, one, two. Check, check. Check, check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, welcome back, guys. You're listening to Han Talks First. I'm your host, Han, and uh, this is a very special episode today because we are talking about the rise of Skywalker, and we're going to break everything down and finally, finally discuss this movie. And right off the bat, I got to tell you, it is one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my entire life. It is absolute garbage. I hate every second of it, and it's the dumbest, dumbest thing in the world. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding, guys. Don't worry. Trust me. I love this movie, and we're going to talk about it today. So let's hit the ground running and talk about The Rise of Skywalker. guys so much for your patience i know it's been a while since i've uh been podcasting but um it was the holiday season so uh merry christmas happy hanukkah kwanzaa everything uh to all of you i hope you had a great um couple of days either off from work or you know, just chilling out with family and whatever you guys do. I hope it was great. I had a good one myself, and uh, especially so that we had The Rise of Skywalk to drop along with the holiday season, and it doesn't get any better than that. And I am so, so happy to talk about it today with you guys. Um, forgive me, uh, I know there's probably a lot of background noise happening right now, and um, a lot of changes in the the levels here. I just got some new equipment, uh, for Christmas. Uh, some of them were gifts. Some of them were self, uh, treated, but, um, I got, yeah, I got some new equipment here, some new software. I'm just trying to mess with it and see what all works best. So this is kind of the beta for the new, uh, equipment we're using here today. But anyway, so long anticipated, the movie, The Rise of Skywalkers. I'm just going to start off by telling you some of my initial reactions, which will all be non-spoiler based. And then after that, we'll jump into those those spoilers that you're trying to avoid. So uh, I do have to start by saying that the first time I went into this movie, I went in with my heart. And the second time is when I went in with my mind and I actually focused on the movie. Um, because there's a lot to unpack. And uh, I did want to go into this movie with very low expectations that way I would be satisfied. Um, because for all of you that do know, and those that don't, I did not like, um, its predecessor, the last Jedi. And I was very nervous going into it. Uh, rise of Skywalker, very, very nervous. I was kind of, I don't know. I was kind of out of it. I was quiet. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. And, um, I was scared. Uh, and, but I also went in thinking like, you know what? it's not going to be good. It's not going to be that good. It's not going to be the best movie I've ever seen. It's not going to be good. It's just going to be an average movie. I set the bar real low and it made me happy for it. Happy about it. And it turns out I love this movie so much. And 
it's quite possibly one of my new favorites. Maybe up there. I was debating. Uh, I've seen it three times now. Uh, after the first time, I was like, this might, I don't know, this might beat uh, The Force Awakens in this trilogy. I'm like, which one's my favorite? Um, later on, I realized, of course, that that was silly. And The Force Awakens beats them all. <laughs> but um, just the fact that that was in my head uh, should show like how good of a movie this is. And uh, again, I'll get into the spoilers later, but yeah, you have to see this movie more than once. You owe it to the story to make a fair judgment, which does not at all make this movie great. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot going on and you got to see it multiple viewings to fully like grasp its concept. And I think seeing it more than once is what separates this movie from being interesting to visceral and that's what i felt on the second and third viewings was the visceral experience and the emotional attachment i have to these characters and it's really hard to digest it in in just one first viewing uh just at least for me anyway uh because you have built up this movie for so long and it doesn't really hit the first time because there's so much to process in this film. There's a lot going on. Anyone, whether you're a big Star Wars fan or a casual viewer, you're going to feel rushed and there's a lot thrown at you. There's not a single dull moment, which all sounds great, like great praise, which it is, but it's it's also... <laughs> There really is a lot going on. It feels like two movies bunched into one. It's kind of ridiculous. Now, the idea going into it uh, that this movie as a standalone, which is what kind of J.J. was was talking about in the press, was that he wanted to go into this movie um, so that it could stand alone as its own, but also... Um, be a concluding chapter to the trilogy and also the nine films, uh, having it be a standalone picture is I think what made it, what hurt it in this convoluted plot structure, because it's the finale. You don't have to let a finale stand alone. It would be nice, but to go in with that objective, I think is kind of what hurt this film a little bit and what made it feel so rushed because they're essentially introducing a brand new story I mean, the Emperor's back. That's a that's a whole new thing that wasn't really set up anywhere else. Um, I mean, they made it so, but <laughs> honestly, after seeing this film, you realize it was not set up at all. But they they did a good job writing around it. Um, and a lot of pe- a lot of people don't like this movie. A lot of people love it. It's not as diverse or. Uh, as divided as the last Jedi was not at all. Um, but there is some divisiveness. And I think a lot of this movie's divisiveness comes from the emotional moments in the film, which I'll get into later. But that's, what's most interesting to me is like with the last Jedi, a lot of the problems with it were more than just the moments that were supposed to hit you in the fields, but it was a lot of the little things too. But with this one, the little things really don't matter that much. And no one's really complaining about that except for like, 
oh, this one character is, is racist. And I'll talk about who in a minute. But, and, but all the problems I see people are having with it are the points, the moments in the story that are supposed to be emotionally impactful, which we'll break down here in a second. But just keep that in mind because it's very, it's very different than the problems that arose from the story in The Last Jedi. And I thought a lot of the people that liked The Last Jedi were going to hate this movie. And I was very wrong because it seems about half of that. A lot of the people that like The Last Jedi actually do like The Rise of Skywalker. And then there's the other half, of course, that are very confused and wish that the, the story that was set up in The Last Jedi was executed the same way, uh, which... Some would say it is, and some would say it's not. And I'll tell you my opinion here in a minute. And I'll also share with you if it has affected my 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 um, opinion on The Last Jedi, which I'm sure a lot of people are anticipated to to learn about. Now, the movie overall feels like a direct sequel to The Force Awakens. It does not feel like a direct sequel to The Last Jedi. And I think a lot of that has to do with tone, uh, a lot of that has to do with, obviously, the director returning. And also um, the story as well, which we'll also get into in the spoiler section. But it definitely doesn't feel like you are required to watch The Last Jedi in order to understand what's going on in this one. It definitely helps, but it does feel like a direct sequel to The Force Awakens. And uh, so far, everyone I've talked to about the rise of Skywalker has loved it. Now, of course I have a very biased group of star Wars friends, <laughs> but, um, I did, that didn't happen when the last Jedi came out. Um, it seems with this one, we're all on the same page and everyone really loved it. I just had a friend text me, uh, five minutes ago before I started here. And he, he texted me and said, I just got out of the theater and I, it's probably my favorite of the nine films of all Star Wars. And he said the, um, the final act, the conclusion of it is probably his favorite moment out of the whole movie. And he's not a big Star Wars guy. So it was really cool to hear that coming from him. Um, but yeah, a lot of people love this movie. A lot of people love it that I didn't think we're going to love it. A lot of people lost hope after the, the last Jedi. And, um, like I like I said, I thought that this movie was going to kind of bring everybody back together, and in some ways it has, and in some way it has it has done the exact opposite. So, at this point, we are going to move on from the non-spoilers and move into the spoiler part of the review here. And I will on on top of that last note, I just said you know I have a lot of friends who have expressed feelings to me about this film, and I will have a lot of them come on here soon, very soon to talk about this movie because I know it's kind of boring just to listen to one person talk about something. So, uh, this one will be my personal review and then we'll get to the interesting dialogue between different parties in another episode. Um, and, uh, by the way, I know I'm a little late to the game considering it has been out for over a week now and I'm just now releasing my, my spoiler discussion. So it's kind of irrelevant at this point, but 
if you're like me and you love this world and listening to other people talk about it, um, thanks for listening. And we're going to jump right into it right now. So let's start with the basic story, the basic plot and the exposition of this film. So like I said, it's this, this movie is the pacing of it is so fast. It, there is a lot going on. There is so much extra story and consequence added and it's just one thing after another. And there's so many obstacles and uh, so many, um, tangents that these characters go on to, uh, get to the ultimate, uh, prize that they're trying to achieve here and uh so many unfulfilled uh pieces of uh dialogue that were said and um a bunch of there's there's so much going on and it, it's right at the beginning of the movie it just starts and it, it starts off with that um that wayfinder and then it jumps to another thing and it jumps to another it keeps introducing all these things the dagger and then uh oh no chewie's dead and like all this stuff and it's just it's one thing after another and it's so much to <laughs> obtain in two hours it's almost like jj and chris terrio wrote uh a 300 page a 300 350 page script which translates to about 300 uh, 350 minutes and uh and then bob Iger comes in and he's just like no we have to have we can't do a three-hour movie we, we just can't do it like you you can't you can't make this less than three hours and jj's just like okay watch me doesn't adjust the script but just instead just decides to <laughs> put it all together into this like bunch it up and keep compressing it into this two and a half hour movie so that that's honestly what it feels like and uh, while I don't have a problem with it now because I've watched the movie several times and I'm comfortable to the pace, uh, right away it's it's hard to get into, and I think that's because the Last Jedi was kind of slow, and it w- it was very drawn out in the Last Jedi. Like there were scenes that were way longer than needed to be, moments of silence that were very just dead, and then you go from that to boom, 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 boom. It's it's crazy. It's it's a lot, and because of that. Uh, there, there's kind of a lot of things that happen that kind of don't seem to make sense. And I call this movie the rise of coincidence because there's a lot of times when these characters get into trouble and then they just bounce right back out of it as if it was nothing. And there were never any stakes involved. Um, and I think it has to do with the pacing that I love the direction of this movie, but I do not like the control of this movie. I think they're two different things. So uh, I think JJ is to blame for both, but this is not a directing issue here. I think the direction of this film was very well done. There are there are moments between characters that are just so well orchestrated and blocked and written. And it, it all stems from that that JJ touch. And he he's, he is he does have a, a voice when he is making a movie, and it's very clear now that we got the Last Jedi and then this again, so we can see that distinction between artists. And I am more of a fan of JJ's work than Ryan Johnson, and uh, I do love the way he tells the stories and the way he directs his characters. Um, but I do believe that his control is needs to be controlled. <laughs> that's not how I meant that to come out. But anyway, if that makes sense to you, cool. If it doesn't, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to move on. Uh, the exposition of this film, in addition to the direction, is excellent. It's the same thing. I 
I believe more movies are going to be made like this one in the future. And what I mean by that is the pacing. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another. It feels like a, a, a Vine compilation. There's one six-second story, then another one, and another one, and another one. But instead of them all being random, they all have to do with the same subject. And that is, they want to find Palpatine. Uh, so I think the way this movie was made was very different than a lot of other movies today. And I think a lot of people are going to copy this format. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the critics dislike this movie, because it feels different. It's, it feels different than other movies. It feels, it feels different than The Force Awakens. Not tonally, but pacing-wise. It's, it's very different. But anyway, I think it's going to resonate with a, a lot of different uh, generations uh, and age groups of people because of that, especially the younger people, which is not the target demographic for this uh, trilogy, which I think is where they kind of fell short in their marketing and um, writing. Uh, but I, I do think this movie will target that audience a little bit differently uh, for all the age groups, really. They hit the nostalgia and then the fast-paced action and stuff like that. Um, speaking of age groups, on my second viewing, someone was on their phone like the whole time, and it made me so mad. I couldn't even like watch the film because I was just so like pissed off. Like one, one, why are you on your phone in a movie theater? Two, why are you on your phone when you're watching Star Wars? I, I really wanted to go down and like tell them to like just get the fuck out, but I. I didn't want to ruin anyone else's experience or my experience watching the movie. So I just hoped they would put their phone away. And during the second half they did, but the whole first half it was like, damn, like, I just don't understand. Like, why do those people go to the movies? Just stay home. You know, fuck off. We don't want any of that. <laughs> but anyway, that's really, um, we'll talk more plot and exposition as we continue through these other topics. I have, um, cause it's kind of a broad, uh, thing to discuss without getting into detail. Uh, but second thing I want to mention is music. Um, the man himself, John Williams, who makes a cameo in the film, which I did not catch the first time. The second time I did catch it. It's very brief, but he plays the bartender, um, towards, uh, the end of the film when they're running through the bar and you see all these new creatures and stuff like that. Uh, but it was so nice to see him in there. And then finally, I'm sure he never really cared that he wasn't included on film, but uh, the fact that he was in it was really cool. I'm sure JJ was like, hey, uh, you want to make an appearance in the final one? Like, uh, it'd be really cool. And he was like, yeah, make me a bartender. And then make me a drink while you're at it, JJ. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the music. <clears throat> I think the music fits in this film more than it has in any other movie. It is subtle, yet emotional, it is background, yet it is a, it is foreground. Uh, I don't know how to describe it accurately, but I've said it in comparison to the Mandalorian TV show. This movie, the music in the in the films, is it complements the action on screen so perfectly, beat by beat, note by note, that it you don't notice it as much, but it, it, it impacts you on that visceral level I mentioned. And you really get that in this movie. So much so that I couldn't pin any motifs in my first viewing. It just fits so, so seamlessly. It wasn't distracting at any moments in time, 
but it just complements what's going on on screen so well. And I, I think that's what makes the best scores. And it is a hybrid of like a bunch of different scores that he's written in the past. Um, but I think that's, you know, it, he doesn't just repeat these phrases or these motifs. He actually adds to it. And he, for example, the Duel of the Fates, we'd, we'd never hear the bum, bum, ba-da-dum, bum, bum, ba-da-dum, but we do hear uh, the, the, the choir um, singing their part. And it wasn't the same. It was, it was, it was, um, it was reimagined almost. Uh, usually the choir with Duel of the Fates was a like, and in this one it was it was a little deeper and it was it was elongated it was it was more uh, plagal and it's just, it's like you hear like the the reminiscence of old scores and but it's reimagined and it, it feels new at the same time when it's also nostalgic um but one of the best moments of music Actually, there's two really good ones that stood out for me in this in this movie. It was one when Lando returns with uh, his fleet of of people willing to fight with the resistance, and it's right at the moment when Poe's just like, "I'm sorry, guys, I thought we had him." And then you hear Lando come in, he's like, "But you have us, Poe." And then you hear the music, and then it goes into the main theme, which has never been heard in in like its actual fanfare, like orchestration uh, front to back before in the, in the actual film itself, except for the crawl. And it was like the first time, and you see like a billion and five ships all come up and then you and then it goes into the bum, 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 ba, da, bum, and then Poe's just like look at all those ships that was one of the most emotional parts of this film for me it was it was one of the best and one of the best places to put that song in it was so great um one of my favorite moments so the other the second one was the ending if you watch all the way through the credits it's really worth your time and your ears, your ears time as well. It's, he adds uh, so much more flavor to it. And then just listening all the way through and then hearing those last notes ring out and just go to the most beautiful cadence, the crescendoed cadence. And uh, it's so great. It's really, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, emotional but just hearing it like wow that's that's the last time john williams is going to end a score because if i'm not mistaken he is retiring completely and this was his last movie and if not either way he's ending his final score for star wars and it was so there was nothing interesting (laughs) there was nothing interesting or new about it it was just it's this the last note he hit it was his it was his he went out on a high note, literally, and it was just moving just to hear it and just to know, like sitting in the theater, like that's it. He's done. Like he gave his all and he gave his best, and it's gonna resonate for forever. That those those eight notes, strung in different, you know, organization, <sighs> so good. Watch all the way through the credits, please. Like, just watch the names. Look at all the people that made it. 
and also see some uh, the voice actors that made their cameo appearance in this film, such as uh, Hayden Christensen. All right, so I guess next, uh, before I get into characters, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the behind-the-scenes background type stuff, and one of that is uh, cinematography. I, um, I mentioned in my last uh, two episodes ago uh, that the cinematography for The Last Jedi, it's, it kind of doesn't work for me. And one of the reasons is because when we go into the rise of Skywalker, we're back to that fluidity. The it's it's finally back, and it really sets the tone. It's one of the, the three major things that I think set a tone of the film. And the we it brought back the um, the uh, cinematographer from the Force Awakens. So of course it feels a lot more like that. And but the way this guy his framing, uh, his light design his coloring just the way he composes the the frame of the camera it, it's it's perfect and it doesn't only capture still moments very well but the camera is constantly moving and the the colors the the color palette of this film is so beautiful and the shadows were well lit and the darkness surrounding the emperor were regardless of what you think uh, of the emperor's appearance in the film it, conceptually the emperor was done very well and very well crafted from as far as like aesthetic to the cinematography um the way he works through the shadows and the lightning going flickering on and off and um just uh, the way he emphasizes darkness through like these these green and blues and then the very subtle tint of red towards the end of the film it's so beautiful and i don't know i just think the fact that they brought back the cinematographer from tfa uh was a very good choice because you know what let me look up what this guy name the guy's name is because i i want to give him credit uh force awakens cinematographer Let's see what it says here. Well, internet's not working too well. Let me ask my phone. The Force I'm Awakens. Sure I understand. Ooh, the Force Awakens cinematographer. He's the Force Awakens. Okay, it's not telling me. I, uh, so sorry, guys. I am not prepared for this thing. <laughs> but um, look him up. Okay, this the fact that they bring him back. He is the way he brings. He makes the camera a character in this film, and it's a very, it's a very interesting character. He, the way he moves through scenes and characters' dialogue is unique, and it is what one of the main things that sets up the tone for this movie. I don't think there's a single thing I disliked about the cinematography of this film. Um, just the way it feels like a character in the film, and it really makes the audience look in the direction they want to look. A good example is... Um, when two characters are having a dialogue with each other and they're both in frame and then a new character approaches, the camera will go through those two actors in the middle of them, in between them, and then focus on the new person who's talking. And that's, that's exactly what, what you would do in, in person is you, you would focus on the new, the, the new person who just walked in to join the group. And so it kind of blocks out the other two and it makes you focus on them. And it just, it makes you more in, it makes you feel like you're in the movie. 
and I think the cinematography deserves a lot more credit than it's it's given. And honestly, I think it's underrated. I, I don't think enough people talk about it. And I wish I knew more about camera work and lighting and it's just the stuff that this guy or girl does. I don't I don't know if it's a guy. I don't I have no idea. They're amazing and uh, they need more recognition. I'm going to do some more research and um, possibly do an episode on the cinematography of Star Wars. And I'll get a cinematographer in here to help me describe it. <laughs> so now that we got that kind of stuff out of the way, let's, let's mold into the characters and let's talk about the acting in The Rise of Skywalker, which are some of the best performances ever given by any of the actors in this film compared to the whole trilogy. Not the whole saga, but this trilogy. Uh, any of the consistent actors that have been in all three films, uh, they really shine and outdo themselves in this one. They really finally expose themselves and who they are and let us, the audience, know that they, they do have a strong understanding of these characters and they are who they are acting to be. I even liked Rose. I even liked Rose. Can you believe it? I absolutely... She's like one of the my least favorite parts of Star Wars, and I actually didn't mind her in this. And I think that has to go towards um, uh, credit to J.J. Abrams, because not only did uh, was he directing her and telling her how to do her thing, but also giving her a new costume, giving her a better role in the film, writing her so she doesn't seem like an absolute dink bag and i don't know she just she seemed mature in this one she she wasn't annoying in this one uh she had a purpose in this one and while i know a lot of people are like pissed that she didn't have a role in, in this movie um <laughs> he, she was kind of jar jar binks in this one <laughs> and <laughs> look the fact that people like me who hated Rose are actually warming up to it should be enough to make up for the fact that she's not really in this movie, but she doesn't have to, she didn't have to be the fact she's in it should be enough because she's not, she hasn't, she has no purpose to the story. She was just, she was, she helped move Finn in the last one, right? At least that's what was supposed to happen. Um, still don't like her in the last, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but, um, yeah, Rose, it, her outfit too it wasn't frumpy looking. She actually looked good, um, and she gave a better performance. Kelly Marie Tran gave a better performance in this one than she did in uh, the Last Jedi. I think. Um, I feel like not even she knew where her character was going to go emotionally <laughs> or literally <laughs> in the Last Jedi. And but for this one, it, I mean, she actually got to read the script, so that's probably part of it. You know, um, those are her words, not mine. Um. But yeah, uh, was, I was impressed with that. I, I really was nervous seeing her on the press tours and everything and like, <sighs> fuck. <laughs> How much more Rose were we going to get? But it was it was fine. And you know what? I wouldn't have mind if she was uh, in the movie more. I really wouldn't have. Um, I think uh, it all, it's just, it's literally the direction and the way the character is written. It's literally all it is. And it proves that Kelly Marie Tran is a good actress. And um if I have ever said in the past podcast episodes or in life that Kelly Marie Tran sucked, then uh, that's on me because she does not suck. Um, she works with what she's given, and if she's given, uh, 
if she has good collaborators and she's on the same page, then she can give a hell of a performance. So there you go. I'm not saying she needs an award or anything, but I just really want to make the point that, you know, I, I, for something I really hated, I kind of turned around on. So yeah, other acting performances, you got to give credit to, of course, the puppeteers because they did such a good job in this one. I have a feeling that some of the puppeteers in this are the ones that uh, worked on The Dark Crystal. Which, again, if you do not watch, you need to go watch it. If you're listening to my podcast, you're going to love Dark Crystal, okay? It's literally Star Wars, <laughs> just with puppets. But anyway, the puppets. Uh, puppeteering in this was amazing. It uh, there, was, there was puppets in this that I didn't know were puppets until people have started saying they're puppets. For example, Maz Kanata was a puppet in this. Can you believe that? Uh, it, I mean, uh, they tried to break ground with her being CGI character in the first one or like stop motion or whatever. Um, and the fact that they went puppetry with this was really kind of blew my mind. Uh, I did not realize it at all. And it did look different. It felt different than the Maz we knew, but I didn't know what it was. It felt, I was like, wow, they really improved the CGI and they really made stop motion like hella good. Turns out, it was a puppet the whole time, and it just blew my mind when I found that out, because I, I, I didn't think that at all until I, I saw someone uh, talking about it on an interview. Blows my mind. And, um, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, another Muppet shout-out would be the Muppet on Lando's ship. <laughs> Love that thing. When Lando's just like, come on, get us out of here, and he's just like, okay. Um Cookie Monster or Grover, whatever that voice is. I guess he was up there. And I wonder if that was Frank Oz, too. Pardon me, everybody. I will be drinking coffee throughout this, so please bear with me. But yeah, that was cool. I I, I know a lot of people like were like, what the fuck when that happened? But I actually really liked that. Um, okay, Muppet. And that's what I'm going to call him, the OK Muppet. Um, another one worth um, mentioning, which I said I would talk about earlier is the one that people are saying is racist, and, <laughs> and that's Babu Frick. I, I don't... I mean, people are just saying he's racist, but they're not saying why or how. So that's why I'm <laughs> I'm kind of, like, turned the other way, because no one's really explaining themselves. They're just saying, oh, that racist puppet. I don't even think the people calling him racist don't even... Uh, they're not even sure why. But, you know, people take offense to whatever they want to. <clears throat> I loved Baba Frick. I thought he was great. I, I, I really wasn't sure about it when I saw him in the marketing and stuff, but now I, I really like him a lot. And just he, he's the, the new Porg because he's flying around on the ship with, um, uh, Zori. And he's just like, Hey, and he does it throughout the whole movie. And I really love him for it. He's just such a happy guy. One of my favorite parts was when, Babu is working on C-3PO, and then when uh, C-3PO gives them the secret message he wasn't supposed to give, um, and then he, like, passes out, and Babu is so happy that he was able to to do what uh, Poe asked him to do. He's just like, hey! <laughs> like, look what I did. I'm so awesome. And he, he was like, even him, he, like, couldn't believe he did it. And then when C-3PO wakes up, and he's like hello, I'm C-3PO. And then Babu is just like, uh, hello, I'm Babu Freak. 
He was so great. And the callback to that later when um, C-3PO was like, oh, Babu Frick, one of my oldest friends. Uh, Babu Frick was great. I love him. I wouldn't mind seeing more of him either. Uh, the last like puppetry type thing I want I'll talk about really, which was kind of half puppet, half CGI, was the new droid Dio. I really love Dio. Um, I, I wasn't too sure about it when uh, we saw him at Celebration and in like footage and stuff. Um, mainly because um, I just I didn't see the point, and um, I thought it was kind of like the sounds he made, like the was kind of like way too close to BB-8. But then you realize in the movie that was a subversion of our expectations and he actually talks. And I love the voice of him. And he was kind of like this shy, someone, uh, I forget who it was, someone on the Jedi Council show said that he almost had like an autistic um, behavior to him, which I thought was an interesting way to look at it because he was kind of like, um, he had this personality like, um, when like if you want to come hang out with me or if you want to talk to me you can wait until i'm ready type type of thing like when someone reached out to him he would say no no thank you no thank you but then he would come around later and do it on his his own volition and i thought that was a really interesting take on that uh but dio was great voiced by jj abrams nice little cameo there and um i really love that he was rescued by bb8 he's a little rescue droid and it really, um, I don't know. Dio's one of my new favorites. BBA is still uh, OG, but uh, Dio's really cool. So now that we talked about a little bit about acting, let's get deeper into that and talk about each individual character and what they brought to the table here. And uh, I guess we'll start with, um, well, let's start with the old man. Let's start with Luke. And because um, I guess he had like maybe the smallest role in this maybe him or lando so we'll start with both of them so uh yeah luke skywalker this is where all that divisiveness begins to come in or at least where it starts i would say anyway now to preface everything i'm about to state about luke skywalker in this film i want to go back and um talk about a little something in the last jedi um which was uh, the portrayal and uh, execution of Luke Skywalker in that story. And um, as I was watching this film, I realized, you know what? I still hated Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. The, 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 his story in it, not, not actually Luke Skywalker. Okay, I love Luke. But his story and what he had to go through and all the changes that happened, etc., I still dislike that very much, but what I realized that I loved about The Last Jedi, and this is one of the very few, maybe only things, actually, the one thing I will say that I loved about The Last Jedi was Mark Hamill's performance as Luke Skywalker, which I think tells a lot, not just about his abilities as an actor, but as a professional and as a human being. I mean, we all know, it's no secret, that he didn't like the, the way it was written either, and he really disliked the, the path he was going down for that character's treatment. But the fact that he sucked it up and just went for it and gave it his all and gave one of the best performances he's ever given 
probably in his whole entire career. And just whether you like him or not in that movie, you get it when you watch it. You feel it and you know what's going on in his head and <clears throat> you really feel his pain and you feel his happiness. Every emotion he goes through, you feel it and you uh, you empathize with everything he goes through. So that I will, I will credit to Mark Hamill <clears throat> for being such a talented actor to be able to do that. And I, I, I do love how he, it's really hard to word it. I love the way he plays his character. I just don't like the way it was portrayed in the story. Now, that being said, going into The Rise of Skywalker, I was very curious how Luke was going to be in this movie. Everyone knew he was going to be a Force ghost because he spoiled that for everybody. While it was somewhat obvious, some would say, due to his death in the last one, you never know because... You know, a lot of people hated The Last Jedi, so maybe it would have done a flashback of him or something like that. But he was back, and he was a Force ghost. And he makes his entrance by catching the lightsaber that Rey is throwing away because she's had it. She's done, like she said in The Force Awakens. She doesn't want any part of this, yet she's somehow mixed into it all and is the center of attention for the Resistance and for the First Order and now the Empire. But she's, she's like, I'm done. I'm going to throw my shit away and I'm going to fucking live on the island like you did, right? That's what's going on in her head anyway. So she throws it into the fire and then a hand reaches out and Luke grabs the saber. Now, I wonder at first if this is a callback to <clears throat> the ending of The Force Awakens when the lightsaber is, um, it, um, it's in the snow and then it zooms past Kylo and goes into Rey's hand. Um, and how a lot of people like wanted that to be Luke Skywalker, like his entrance into the film. I wonder if that was a callback to that or not. Like maybe like a, Hey, like wouldn't that have been cool if I'd have done that? I know how everybody wanted, (laughs) but, um, I don't think that's what it was. But anyway, my first reaction to that was, and when he grabs it and he's just like, that's no way to treat a Jedi's weapon. My first reaction was like, Oh my God, everyone who, love The Last Jedi and hates everyone talking shit about it are going to lose their mind on Twitter and it's just going to make everything worse. That was my initial reaction. And I couldn't enjoy the scene at first because I kept thinking about how how much more angry this fan base is going to become and how more divided we're going to be. So I was a little, I was very nervous. Um, and then it played out and then he... Um, I'll talk about it more in a second, but it plays out. And then you see him telling Ray, you know, like, <clears throat> or she tells him, you know, I w- I'm done with it. I'm just going to live here like you did. And he's just like, no, that's, uh, your story is different than mine. Don't do what I did. Go fight the fight that you're given and, you know, be the person you want to be about it. You know, gives him the whole spiel or whatever. And, um, and then, uh, he lifts the, the X-wing out of the water and which was such a, good moment because it's one of the things that we would never seen him do and it's always in the back of our mind like did, was he ever able to do it was he ever able fully like committed to his teachings and like being one with himself and he is he finally is and it's it was such a good moment he, he gives it to ray and it it, it was that was an, a really good um way to execute the x-wing being left underwater <clears throat> and him giving it to her kind of reflecting how she gave him the lightsaber um and he didn't want it but instead um he has to give her something you know he she went there looking for something 
in the last movie and he never gave her anything. And the one thing he does give her is a way out literally, but also like metaphorically. And it was just like, so it was so beautiful. And then Yoda's theme plays and it's, it's a reimagination of Yoda's theme another credit to John Williams and what I said earlier. And it just plays out so beautifully. Now, like I said, I thought a lot of people who liked The Last Jedi were going to hate that that scene because it, it feels like a slap in the face to Ryan Johnson. And it feels like he's wiping his feet on all over that script, the Last Jedi script, and being like, hey, you weren't supposed to do that. You know, it feels, it's just spitting on that that legacy, right, of what happened before. And... There's two ways to view it. There's that way, and then there's also the way that, well, Luke went through that, but he learned that he was wrong. And now he's addressing that, hey, I was wrong, and don't do the same thing I did. I don't take it that way. While it is stated in the film by Luke himself that that's what the problem was, I really, (laughs) in my own personal opinion, don't believe that at all. Um I do believe it is a way of fixing what happened in The Last Jedi. Now, hear me out, okay? Because everybody's entitled to their own point of view, right? Just like Obi-Wan. So, what's beautiful about this scene is that for people like me who did not like The Last Jedi, love that scene because it feels like it's negating what happened in The Last Jedi, okay? And Luke's treatment there. So it's kind of redeemed for me and it's kind of retconned and we moved on from it. And I I feel like uh, I'm, I'm satisfied and I'm healed of those wounds. But then for the people that like the last Jedi and like the way Luke was treated, they see it as a, as a, uh, a, a closing of that, that chapter for Luke and that he learned his lesson and that nothing was negated. He just finally figured out what he was supposed to do. And he figured out he was wrong and that he was a failure. So from both side, both points of view, it adds up and it makes sense. Now, there's two ways that the Phantom can go with this. We can either both accept that we got what we wanted out of it and that we both have closure to that, or we can both fight over what's, what it means. And honestly, we're both going to fight over what it means. But I think that's what's beautiful about this film is it kind of retcons things that have happened in the last movie that not everyone was a fan of. But it does it in a way that it can also appease the ones who did like it and don't want to see it negated completely. A testament to J.J. himself. Uh, no one else could have done that. I think if someone else came in, like if Colin Trevorrow had the reins to this, like he originally did, it wouldn't have gone that way. I think he would have been one-sided, whether it was towards Ryan or against it. He would have done his thing, and then people would have been pissed by it. So you look at, the, you look at it however you want to. I just think it's very interesting. And a lot of the things in this movie are like that, where the Last Jedi haters, such as me, see it as like, oh, cool, it's retconned. It doesn't matter anymore. But then the ones who liked it look at it and they're like, oh, cool, it's a continuation. Um, But it doesn't negate it. It's just learning from mistakes and stuff like that. You know, I think it's interesting. And we see that a lot through the movie. But it starts off with Luke here. And... Yeah, just a great moment. And then after you watch it the second time, you can sit with it and realize what's coming and then you can enjoy it. And you really see the Obi-Wan persona that Luke was supposed to embody from the beginning and teach his new apprentice, Ray everything he knows. And 
be that longed father figure that she was always anticipating and hoping to have one day. So that was Luke. Uh, I wish he had more screen time, obviously, but this is not his trilogy. So <laughs> maybe we'll get um, a, a young Luke Skywalker movie or a Disney Plus thing, you know, like that rumor's going around. Anyway, Lando. <laughs> Let's talk about Lando. I think, honestly, I think Lando's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. He wasn't so much in uh, the original trilogy. I did enjoy his character, but he wasn't one of my favorites. But for some reason, he's just, his energy in this film is so fulfilling and so pure, and he's just a light in this film. And he's got all good things to say. He's great moments. He, he compliments Leia being there perfectly, which we'll get into. But the way that they used old footage of her, I think having Lando in it compliments it and makes it, um, it just, it kind of makes sense if he's there. It just, it, it helps, um, bring balance to the fact that she, uh, she physically wasn't there during filming, but it, it just, it lays it out a little better and it makes it more believable for some reason, at least for me anyway. But yeah, I mean, the message he gives to Poe about, you know, you know, we, we didn't have many people either, but it, we had each other and that's all that matters. And he, he's there for not just Leia, but also for Poe as well. And mainly Poe, I think I, I loved when he was introduced and, uh, C-3PO is like, everybody, this is Lando Calrissian. And everyone's like, yeah, C- Ray's just like, yeah, C-3PO, we know, we know who it is. <laughs> it was great. And I don't know, every moment of his really just made me really happy on screen. And it's not what I expected. So I'm, I'm glad he was in this film. And he also shows what a good actor he is because he's so different on screen than he is in person or in interviews. He's very quiet and reserved, uh, when he's just speaking normally in interviews and stuff like that. But then you see him on screen and he's just so full of life and it's so cool to see the difference of character in person. It was really cool. And again, when he brings in the fleet at the end of the movie, that was one of the highlights of it for me. It was such a good moment. And, uh, it would have, it wouldn't have been as impactful if it wasn't Lando bringing in the fleet. At least I think so anyway, but that's just me. All right. So now that we got those two out of the way, let's talk about a woman that was featured more prominently, but wasn't actually there. And that is Leia, the princess of Alderaan herself and the general of the resistance army. Like everybody, I was so happy when she was announced she was going to be in this film and they were just, they weren't just going to have her be absent or killed off screen or something like that. And, to have her there, it was really, I don't know the word, calming, reassuring that everything's okay. Um, just the way she, the way Leia is, is just so, again, pure, just like Lando, but in a, in a calmer sense, in a motherly sense, just a sensitive a touch to this story, just to have her around and just such an icon too. And of course I was nervous at first using old footage of her to be just placed in this and have people act as if she's there. I'm sure everyone was nervous about it, but I think they actually did a really good job implementing her into the film and writing around it. Um, It was kind of an impossible task when you think about 
the, you know, it's a third part of a story. If it was just a, uh, any movie, it would be easy because you can just make up a, a new story. But with this one, it had to go uh, a certain direction. And the fact that they were using parts from the first movie is just blows my mind how well it was done. And the rotoscoping and the the editing on it was, it was flawless. You can't see that it's cut into place. And I don't know. And then on the second time I watched it, <clears throat> when Ray and Leia hug... Um, it was a really emotional moment for me. And it was just like, wow, you know, she's, that's the last hug she's giving her. And I wonder if that was shot in the force awakens. And like, that's the last time she hugged Leia. And, but like also in the movies, that's the last time she hugged Leia. It's just kind of, it's kind of sad and it's in a good way, in a really, really good way. But I love her and Ray's relationship. I love that she became Ray's master I think that should have been from the beginning. That was a really nice, nice, uh, nice touch. Man, if if instead of Luke, it was Leia who was um, like teaching Ray everything or whatever, that would have been really great because it, I don't know, it just made sense when it, when Ray called her master and everything. And, um, and then it all adds up when you have, um, when it shows the background that Luke trained Leia um, way back in the day to be force sensitive. And it's like, so it's, it's now canon and it, it's, it's been in, in the history of Leia's life that she is, for, she obviously she's force sensitive, but that she was trained by Luke. So I, I've, that's put in there and some people are just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like see now everyone who like was like, you know, putting last Jedi on a pedestal and like trying to justify that Mary Poppins scene. It's like, well, see, she was force sensitive and she, she trained by Luke. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> it still doesn't work for me because you needed to have context with that before it happened. I just do not like that. She was just able to do that. Oh, and then, and then no one addresses it until the next movie. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just unheard of for me, but yeah, so it doesn't fix the fact that she Mary Poppins out of there. I mean, that scene was still very McClunky, and I didn't like it. And it just didn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense. I don't like it. But um, I love that it showed a history of her training, and I, I wish we'd have had that from the beginning as well. It had just some context in The Force Awakens, at least. So it would have redeemed The Last Jedi if it was contextualized in the force awakens that she had had training from Luke, but uh, it wasn't so too bad. So sad. Now, one of the most emotional Leia moments for me was of course when she died and Chewie's reaction to it. (laughs) That hurt (laughs) because Chewbacca has been through (laughs) Han Solo, um, Luke Skywalker, just all these wars, uh, losing his family, just being a slave and the clone wars. And then he, then he loses Leia and you see, he finally loses it. And it was just, that one hurt. That one hurt a lot to watch. And, but I'm glad it was there. I'm glad we finally got a reaction of somebody dying. And then it was also right before that, when she actually died was when Ray felt it through the force that she died. And that was, that hurt too. Cause she, she, her like her heart, her breath stopped and she like couldn't breathe. And she just froze and was like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. She's gone. Like, I don't know. 
they handled it very well. They handled Leia very well. And then, of course, her last moment was calling out to Kylo. And a lot of people don't like it. Uh, there's some people that are just like, really, that's what turned Kylo back to good, was just hearing her say Ben. But I think it was more than that. I think it was way more than that. That was the first time Leia ever called out to Kylo. And for someone such as Leia, who does not use the Force as much, again, I'm not thinking of The Last Jedi. I'm kind of blocking that out. For someone that doesn't use the Force as much and just kind of keeps it to herself, like a true Jedi, by the way, and doesn't like just go around flaunting it. You know, another reason why I like Leia. Um, for her to be able to do that and communicate all the way across the galaxy, um, especially to the Endor system, from where from where they were, you know, I see why it took a lot out of her. And that's what killed her. Because she hasn't used the Force that much. Just like Luke. He didn't use the Force for a while, and that's why when he used it as much as he did to protect himself, it, it killed him too. Same with Leia. And when she... Um, <clears throat> so I actually liked it. Because that was the first time that Kyla's ever heard his mom's voice in such a long time. So... I mean, to him, he's Kylo. He's not Ben. So, uh, in a in a sense, he's kind of killed off his whole family in that way. You know, he killed his dad. He probably like just the mindset that he's just lost his whole family or whatever. And then she passed, and just but her calling out and saying Ben. There was more to that than just her saying Ben. There was more in there. There was more emotion. There were there was there was very intimate thoughts going through the force that we probably couldn't translate on screen. But I mean, think about it. If you heard your mom's voice, say your name after not hearing it for a long time or anyone you loved, it would, it would stop you in your tracks, wouldn't it? And then, and then, so it stopped him in his tracks because he didn't expect it. And then he gets stabbed. Now, he just heard his mom's voice and then he stabbed and now he's like, I'm going to die. Crap. I'm going to die. And I didn't ever see my mom again. And I'm going to die with her knowing that I was a villain and a bad guy. And that I just wanted to kill everybody and have control. So at that moment, he's like, man, I wish I had changed. And then Ray heals him. And then he switches and he decides he's going to be good because now he has a chance. After he had that moment with his dad, oh my God, I'm going to talk about that when I get to Kylo. But that's it for Leia. I mean, Leia's great. Um, uh, I'm sad she's gone, as we all are. Uh, but this was a great finale for her. And uh, I think they handled it very well, especially the way she exited out of this trilogy. And seeing her at the end really made me happy too. So... Uh, I'm just going to jump right into Kylo, actually, because we're there. Um, when he had the Han Solo scene, I didn't expect Han Solo to come in. Honestly, I thought when you hear, hey, kid, I thought that was Luke Skywalker because he said at the end of Last Jedi, I see you around, kid. Um, so I think that was a great, great subversion in this film um, to use that line to introduce Harrison. But that scene was that scene was amazing to me because um 
it was just a nice parallel between The Force Awakens and this and just making it so that that moment where Han Solo sacrificed himself, it wasn't worth, it wasn't for nothing and it wasn't just pointless for him to die there. It stuck with Ben the whole time and that dual personality of him and Kylo, it it stuck with him the whole time. It stuck with him the rest of his life, obviously, and he feels guilty about it and it just echoes what happened before and now he's, if he'd have made that other chance to go back and go with his family, he could have seen his mom again. So that's why he wants to go good. And it's just, it's such a good scene. And honestly, it's, sorry, my phone went off. <laughs> honestly, it's the reason that this scene is so good. So first of all, I didn't like Kylo Ren in the last Jedi, nor did I like him in the force awakens. I really didn't like this character at all. Um, he was cool, I guess, you know, but I wasn't attached or anything, but I will say that out of all the acting performances, Adam driver is the most convincing actor in this whole entire movie. And he really delivers it. And I didn't want Kylo Ren to be redeemed, but if it wasn't for the performance that Adam driver gave for this character, I wouldn't have liked it, but he did it so well and so effortlessly and uh, just full of, I don't know, he did it so well that I believed it and I, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad he was redeemed. And it's all it's all really in that moment because after that, there's like 30, 40 minutes left of the film and he never says another word. And it's all just through his motion and acting ability that he's able to to make you believe in him. And I think that's that's awesome. Also a testament to his, his acting too. He doesn't have to say anything for you to know exactly what's going on inside his head, you know. So what else about Kylo Ren? I mean, he's, he's the master of the Knights of Ren, right? Which we got in this movie. Awesome, right? No, not really. <laughs> we still don't find out about who they are, where they came from, what the hell they're doing. And honestly, I don't think they served any purpose of this film except to look really cool. They were supposed to hunt down the, uh, the, the, the three amigos, you know, um, but they did a terrible job. I mean, uh, like John Campia says, like the when people ask, like, what do you, what do they, what do the Knights of Ren do? Oh, well, they follow people. <laughs> that's all they do is they follow people, which is true. That's really all they did in this film. Uh, I will say the best part about the Knights of Ren is their motif. John Williams gave them a great sounding score for them, and it, it arrives every time they do, and it's very, very Raiders of the Lost Ark. The um. The uh, what are they? The 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 guy the the religious uh, protectors in um, the Last Crusade movie that are protecting the Holy Grail uh, have a very similar um, uh, score to them as uh, the Knights Rended, and it's very it's one of my favorite scores of this film. Um, just heavy percussion and uh, um, timpani drum. And, but it's played so well and it matches uh, their movements too. It's so cool. And um, some of my favorite music, which in the end makes me like them because the music was so good and it fit it so well. Um, but you know, there is one thing about Kylo that I really didn't like. And that's the kiss at the end. That was, that was stupid. That was pointless. That... That didn't need to be there. That didn't, that didn't need to be written down on paper. And that didn't need to be thought about in the writing room. I don't, 
I think the only reason it was in there was to appease the Raylo fans. And now they're all fucking fingering themselves and jerking off in theaters. And now the, the, the fan fiction is going to be even more raunchier because they got what they wanted. But I guess I'm glad they're happy. Uh, I'm just glad he died after. <laughs> so they didn't have to do it again. <laughs> But yeah, Kylo Ren, probably the most convincing actor in this movie and uh, definitely worth watching. He's probably got one of the most interesting arcs, the second most interesting arc out of this whole entire thing. Um, after Ray, of course. Um, but I want to save Ray for last. So uh, I'll jump into Finn and Poe really quickly because I'm kind of running a lot over time here and I, I really want to talk about Ray. So Finn, I think he's the most developed character going from the last Jedi to the rise of Skywalker, he matured a lot, you know, physically and, uh, mentally you can tell, um, just by looking at him. Um, his demeanor has come down. He, he's less, uh, antsy, which is cool, uh, more focused. And he, he, he uh, he reveals, oh, doesn't reveal, but he implies that he's force sensitive, which is kind of what everyone thought when, from the beginning. But he keeps emphasizing that he has a feeling about things and he can sense things happening and, stuff like that. So, um, you know, that was the thing he was going to tell Ray when he was sinking in the sand was that he was, Ray, I never told you I was force sensitive and I wish they'd have completed that because that would have been really cool and to have. And I don't know why they just didn't say it. That was a really, why would he keep it from Poe too? I mean, I don't know. That's like the shit you keep in the movie. I don't know why they save that for after the movie interviews. Like it just makes no sense. The best part about Finn in all of the movies is the way he says, woo, uh, some of the best parts. Now, his relationship with Poe, they fucking, I don't care what the story says, and I don't care what the people say. Finn and Poe, they fucking, okay? Just look at the way they talk to each other. <laughs> when he's just like, Finn, I can't do this alone. I want you to act with me, General. Oh, okay, General. Oh, General. Role play. Oh, je- hey, General. How you doing, General? Mm. Hey, General. You want to invade my planet? <laughs> Okay, the last thing I'll say about Poe is um, also goes along with the introduction of Jonna's character. A lot of people don't like Jonna, and they're just like, oh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, oh, all stormtroopers are black or whatever. Just calm down. I I really love that she was in it, and it just the fact that he meets this ex-stormtrooper refugee, and all the there was other people with her, too. They weren't all black, so people need to calm down. But I really love Jonna in this movie, and how she um, it showed that, hey, there wasn't just this one guy that um, didn't want to be a stormtrooper. It was more than one. And they were able to go against their programming for some reason, probably because they're all force sensitive and able to revolt in that way. Um, but the one thing that somebody mentioned and I wish would have been really cool. Oh, it was a star Wars explained guy. And he mentioned that he really wanted to see a stormtrooper revolt in this movie, like a huge match of them. Maybe the, the refugees going up against actual stormtroopers. That would have been that would have been really cool. And I, I kind of wish somebody would have thought of that or said it during one of the pitch meetings. But yeah, I, I think Jonah's character was great and it, it helped compliment Finn. It gave him someone to, he kept looking to Ray as someone to just talk about everything with, but Ray's too busy. Ray doesn't have time for Finn, you know? And he was able to find somebody. And I think that's what he's been looking for since the beginning. It's just someone who understands him and he finally found it. And she may be force sensitive as well. And then it implied that uh, at the end that, well, maybe she's 
Lando's kid. I didn't see that. I saw it as Lando flirting with her, you know? He's just like, well, I don't know where I'm from. Well, let's find out, baby. Yeah, you come with me. I'll show you who you are. <laughs> and then in one of the interview junkets, uh, uh, the lady who plays her was just like, um, Lando is a very charming man, one of the charmest in the galaxy. So, yeah, I don't think they're uh, father-daughter. I think it's way more sexual <laughs> than that. Um, let's talk about his, his counterpart, Poe. So Poe's character is all over the place throughout all the movies. He has no consistency, and I really, I kind, I loved him at first, but now I, I just really don't care about Poe, <laughs> except for the fact that he needs to come out with his feelings about Finn right now. But yeah, it's all over the place. Uh, the only consistency I see of Poe at all is with the Force Awakens and the Resistance TV show. If you haven't watched Resistance, go watch it. It's great. Poe actually has a great part in it, and um, uh, I like him best in there. Uh, another thing that's inconsistent about it is, like, you know, he he was a, a Navy pilot before he was <clears throat> a uh, Resistance pilot. Um, but then in this movie, they say he's a spice. He was he was a spice runner, and he's just got this. And then he he knows Zori. And he used to live on Kajimi, like, and then all this kind of stuff. It's like he's got a very complicated past that they try to explain his past, but it doesn't add up and nothing lines up and we still don't know anything about Poe. And it just makes no sense to me. Um, Zori's introduction was cool. I think she's a cool character, but again, she was kind of pointless. Um, I mean, they did show him to Babu, but then again, he was going to find Babu anyway. Um, don't get me wrong. I really liked Zori. I thought the outfit was one of the coolest new introductions and... Um, I would have loved to see more. And I love that she came back at the end, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. She didn't need to be there. It was kind of a waste. We're just sad. I really liked her. Um, and then at the end when they were, he was just like, you know, can I kiss you? And he was, she was like, no, come on. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. So, uh, I mean, they had chemistry. I'll give him that, but, uh, didn't need to be there. That was the Canto bite for me of this movie. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about the thing, that is the most important part of this review and analysis of the rise of Skywalker. And that is Ray Palpatine hyphen Skywalker. This is the most important part of the review. Okay. So for anyone that's like thinking about like leaving now, uh, don't because this is the most important part. And this is also the most important part for anyone that says they do not like, um, what happened with Ray in this movie. Okay. Um, because I'm, I'm about to tell you why Ray is very important to this entire saga, not just this 789. So Ray's a Palpatine. We found that out. It was, maybe it was supposed to be shocking, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was expected that she was going to have some kind of reveal, right? So it wasn't that shocking that she was a Palpatine. I mean... They set it up in this movie alone, nothing else. Um, I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, I'll tell you why in a second. But first, I want to address the idea of her being a nobody, which is what a lot of people were hoping for, at least the people that liked The Last Jedi. Now, it, it would have been fine if she was a nobody. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the idea of rising above something and not having to be related to or from anything significant to be something important is, is a good message. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I would have liked it too, but that's not what this trilogy needs 
to focus on at this point in the story. At the very last installment, it's not what it needs to focus on. And I think the message given here that is given in the story is more powerful than the fact that she should have been a nobody. So let me try and explain it for you. So Ray being a Palpatine, she is destined to be evil, destined to be a Sith because she is of that bloodline and she has to follow in her grandpa's footsteps. Yet she rises above that and chooses to be good over evil. Similar to being a nobody where she can choose who she wants to be rather than that having a relationship to someone important. So it's the same message. It's just a different telling. And she does that by adopting the Skywalker name eventually. Now, if you, if you want someone to believe in that is, that is a nobody in this story that could rise above and be whatever they want to be, well, you have it. That, that, does, that person does exist in this movie. It's just not Ray. It's Finn. Finn was that nobody who was taken from a family he'll never know. And he was given this role as a stormtrooper that he went against. And then he found a purpose. And then he realized he's force sensitive as well. And he rose above it all. So Finn is that nobody that everyone has been looking for. And I'm not trying to tell you that you're stupid or wrong for thinking, you know, that it should have been Ray. Cause honestly, I would have been happy either way, but I'm telling you that there, there is that representation here in this film. And that's from Finn. He, he's a nobody that became somebody and somebody very important. Actually, he's, the reason why they destroyed that fleet at the end. I mean, he's he's the man, you know? At least Poe thinks so. Um, but yeah, I would have been happy either way. I mean, I am happy either way. That I'm happy that she's a Palpatine. I really love that connection. And I'm also, I would have been just as fine if she was a nobody because I think that's, if it's executed correctly, it would have been really cool. Um, but I think having her be related to the Emperor brings more emphasis onto that whole parent-child theme in Star Wars. And it, it introduces the idea that this these nine films aren't just the Skywalker saga, but it's also the Palpatine saga. So it's, it's, it's the analogy over the ultimate good versus the ultimate evil. These two families who have been feuding over a worldview throughout uh, this, uh, like, whatever, 50, 60 years... Uh, maybe 70 years, I don't know, from episode one to nine. And both have a worldview and ultimately one will control the fate of the whole entire galaxy. I think that's beautiful. And honestly, now that I'm talking about it, I love it so much more that Ray is Palpatine because it's saying that, you know, the, I know it would have been a strong message if she was a nobody, but honestly, I think it's a strong message that she's, that of what happened here, because it's, it's saying that, you know, no matter where, where you come from in this world, like no matter how bad examples your parents are, no matter how evil they are, no matter who, who you grew up with, who your friends are, you, you can make your own path. And that speaks a lot to me because, you know, Whatever I go through in my life, I can rise above it. 
And I know that same message would have been applied if she was a nobody and she rises above whatever her surroundings are, but the fact that she was related to the most evil person, the Satan himself, and that she decided that she's not going to be that way and she's going to be good and she wants to be a Skywalker just means so much to me. And it's honestly emotional talking about it. And I'm really sorry for everybody listening, but I I love it. I love it so much. And I I hope that you guys can too. And honestly, if you wanted that nobody story, I get it, but there's one in Finn's story and I think it's worth talking about too. Uh, other, other things that I wish would have happened with Ray is, you know, when Chewie died, I wish he'd actually died there. I mean, not really, but I thought it would have been a very interesting character moment for Ray. It would have meant that the stakes were real this time. You know, there were a lot of fake deaths. Again, why I say this movie should be called the rise of coincidence because (laughs) everyone just comes back from the dead, you know, and it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's stakes there anymore, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, if Chewie had died there, that would have been that would have meant so much more for Ray growing, and probably turning her to the dark and light. That that bound, that that pull to each side, you know. Um, really quickly because I want to wrap up here, but so her new force power, healing. Uh, I like it. A lot of people don't, you know. They say, "Well, why couldn't anyone else do it?" Well, because they didn't have the text and they didn't take the time to learn and whatever. Um, you know, Ray is a um. She's shows in this movie that she's a hard worker and she trains a lot and she wants to be a part of something. She eventually does. But anyway, she learns this power. And one of the things I thought was really cool was when, um, after she heals the snake in the cave, um, BB eight says like something to her and she's just like, I gave him some force energy so he could move on and you would do the same if it was you. And then BB eight later on, he does do the same and he learns from that example set by Ray and he gives some of his battery power to Dio to make him come to life. And uh, I really like that little connection there. That again goes back to the some of the exposition and direction from J.J. Abrams, and is so um, unique to his style. Just that there's all, there's there's setups and payoffs that are so subtle in this that are through words of dialogue, and then later on by action. That's so interesting because usually if you have one um, setup in dialogue, it's then later. Uh, delivered through dialogue. But in this case, it was set up by dialogue and executed uh, conclusion through action, I think. And he does vice versa as well in this movie, which is one of the things I think that makes him a unique uh, filmmaker. Uh, Some other force powers we saw was the agility that we had from the prequel movies, which was in that uh, battle scene that was one of my favorite, probably my favorite battle scenes, lightsaber scenes of all time, which was when they were on the Death Star wreckage and uh, fucking shit up. Uh, I really love that battle a lot because it, it shows that like fighting with lightsabers is just all fun and easy to do. You know, Ray is getting exhausted as, as they're going through this and she's like just slowly losing that agility and that the strength. And she's just like using her whole body to swing it at the, at, towards the end of the fight. And uh, at the same time, Kylo is holding up strong and it just shows that the dark side is more powerful, but it doesn't mean you're always right. But it, I just loved how it was, there was a dance to this. I've said before, like the, the, the lightsaber duels are there's, there's a dance and there's a story you're telling through the movements. And I finally got that at this one. And I didn't in episode seven, um, or eight. Well, not eight because there, there was no, nothing in eight, <laughs> but, uh, I finally got it in this one. I thought I really liked it a lot. Um, and I love that we brought in that, that, you know, 
extravagant agility that we saw in the prequels into this one. I think that's what was missing. Um, I also love the, at the end of the movie, the parallel of her sliding, sledding down the hill on Tatooine, uh, a nice, very nice parallel to it. We started off with her going down from the, um, the star destroyer and then, and it echoes it at the end, um, going down the ramp at, uh, the, uh, the Lars homestead. And if you look at it on a, a visual perspective, it's also a very nice parallel because in the force awakens, she comes down the sled on the left side. And then in the rise of Skywalker at the end of the movie, she comes down the sled on the right side and it kind of goes in towards the middle and it just kind of makes it look like this whole, this whole series is, um, just a giant, just a giant triangle. And just, we start by going down and then we finally go back up and it's just really cool the whole uh, metaphor of rise and the rise of Skywalker. Um, And then also at the lot at the homestead, she, she buries both her and Leia's lightsaber. I'm sorry, Luke's Luke and Leia just kind of finally putting them to rest and saying like, this story is done. And I thought that was a very poetic way of saying that Um, also sets up like, you know, who's going to find that later. Who's going to look for it later. You know, somebody's going to want that (laughs) if not, uh, a kid of Kylo or like some bad guy in the future, then it's going to be some, uh, Indiana Jones looking to, uh, you know, put it in a museum. <sighs> and then of course, the last thing we saw was Ray's new saber. And it looked like it was built from her staff, which I really loved, which is kind of what a lot of people thought was going to happen. She was going to make a, a saber from, from her staff and she did and uh it looks really cool and it has like a, a knob um that you turn to ignite instead of like a classic button which is really interesting um i can't wait for that toy to come out i will get my hands all over that uh something really cool about leia's saber it looks exactly like the one i built in jedi fallen order and when it first came up on screen i was like wait a minute do they are they looking at my game history? Did they did they like copy my? But no, <laughs> that's not the case. But it was really cool how it looked exactly like it. Uh, so now I can say I have Leia's saber in the Fallen Order game. But yeah, uh, I, I love the ending. I think I think it was great. Uh, just a great way to end the the saga. And before I sign off, uh, thank you all for listening. I just want to leave you with one important question about Ray, and this is mainly for all the people that love Ray who also love The Last Jedi, okay? This is to kind of put your mind in perspective about where I was when I watched episode eight, okay? Because I really want you to understand how I feel and that I'm not just some jerk who's hating on the movie. So if 10 years from today, they make an episode 10, 11, 12, and they announce it, right? And they're going to have the character Ray come back as the wise uh, character who is like an Obi-Wan or a Luke to the new generation of Jedi, okay? What if they did to Rey what they did to Luke? How would you feel about that? What if they had her give up, cut herself off from the Force, tell people to go away, she's not going to teach them, and just do everything Luke did? What if that was Rey? How would that make you feel? For those of you that love Ray Skywalker, how would that make 
you feel considering the story that she just went down the path she went on everything she's been through to develop this character of Ray how would it make you feel if they did exactly what they did to Luke Skywalker in an episode 10 11 and 12 just a little perspective to hopefully make you see where I was coming from when I was saying all the things I did about The Last Jedi. But anyway, thank, guys, thank you so much for listening. That's um, that's all I want to talk about today for The Rise of Skywalker. It's an amazing film. Go check it out. I really love this movie. and it's it's. <clears throat> I'm actually going to go watch it again tonight. So uh, thank you all so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy the movie. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts. And um, hopefully we can talk about it soon. I'm going to have some guests on and we'll get their opinions. And we'll just keep right in the word of star wars you know we have uh, the mandalorian coming out too final season final episode sorry but uh yeah guys this was it this was what we waited for and i'm um, so glad it's here and that we could all share it together just uh <laughs> love it or hate it just be glad you're alive for this time to experience it yourself you know so somehow some way somewhere now this week may the force be with you My stick is better than bacon. Do it.